This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at upcase.com. I guess I, I guess I need a mic. Yeah. Sorry, man. It's been a really day yeah this day <laughs> so tired i had Bullshit. to reboot dude i seriously i came in this morning i came in and it was 11 o'clock 11 30 and i was already so frustrated that i just left <laughs> i just left i was like i need to restart today so i went to the gym and basically treated everything since then like it was like i treated that like i was at the gym at 7 30 instead of noon and just I've just been going from there, man. I did not come off the weekend well. No. Not properly warmed up for this shit. I'm cursing more than normal. I know. But it's very frustrating times we're in. <laughs> it's warranted. Yeah, I think so. Hey, everybody. This is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Build Base. I'm literally still playing with the debugger right now, trying to. Uh, ugh. It, it's also that I have so many pull requests open and branches going that I, I can no longer keep track of what's going on. I know. So let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about this basic frustration that we're hitting. So when do you think when do you think this started popping up? Like last week? Last week. Early last week. So all of a sudden, we have this fantastic test suite that I've been very, very proud of. It makes me feel really good. We have, uh, I don't know what our current line of code count is, but we're almost done with this application. I mean, we're about to ship this application, and we have over 500 unit tests in it, which feels freaking good. You know what I mean? Like I feel like the places that aren't tested are obvious, and we're aware of them, and there's thing they are things that need to be tested manually because we don't have an integration test layer set up because all the options suck. But for the most part, we've been able to extract so much of the functionality into actually testable objects and use MVVM and use all these techniques that we've been talking about wanting to use for a long time. And we've been we've been able to move in that direction to the point where we have this great test suite. And like you were commenting when you came on the project after a few weeks that you realized that you just hadn't been running the app very often, right? That all of a sudden you had to, you had to run the app to test something. And it was like, Oh, this, sucks. you know, it's like, it's like one weird that I'm hitting command R instead of command U. And then also just like, it would be nice if I didn't have to look at this, you know? Yeah. I would go days without actually like seeing the app running in the simulator but i still knew that everything worked right because i was hooking everything up and the tests were passing and right. keep going right and so one of the one of the critical absolutely critical things for a test suite especially one that's gotten to be this big one of the critical things is that you have to be able to trust it you absolutely have to be able to trust that your test suite is reporting things accurately and that when your tests are passing, they're passing. And when they're failing, they're failing for a reason and that you actually broke something. Cut to <laughs> Wednesday. All of a sudden, there's a test failure. And it's like, 
That's weird. And it's failing on it's failing on Travis, right? So we have this hooked up through GitHub and Travis so that, you know, when we push a pull request before either of us does the code review, it runs all the tests. It runs the tests on 32-bit and 64-bit architectures. You know, it takes I don't know. What do you think? What's the average runtime? Five, six minutes? It's not It's not a whole lot of time. There's a lot of waiting around for Travis to get up and running. But Yeah, the, the suite itself takes 20 seconds locally. Oh, all yeah, that yeah, time yeah, to spend yeah. and set up. Yeah, and then compiling and installing CocoaPods dependencies and blah, 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 all that stuff. But the entire time that it takes to run is like five minutes, which all, all in all isn't that bad. Like I got a friend here locally that he, he had, they have a four-hour long test suite because it's all integration tests and it's like i've talked about this before it's like a medical application so they have to go through fda so they have they're using frank and they have um all their cucumber specs that they just then print out and as long as it's passing those specs you know what i mean the application they they're able to print those out and hand them to the fda and go here's exactly what our application does you know so whatever five minutes i'm okay with it it normally isn't a thing. It's only if Travis gets bogged down. But so all of a sudden, this test failure pops up on Travis. And the first kind of scary thing is that I think both of us were like, oh, God, Travis is just being a pain in the ass again, right? Because Travis does this. It'll fail the build because for some reason it can't find something in CocoaPods, you know? And then you're just like, yes, AF networking is a thing. Thank you. Like, rebuild and it works, you know, and it's like, so that's, that's the first problem is that we were already biased towards assuming that we were right. And the architecture that we were testing on was wrong. You mean Travis? Yeah, I mean, Travis. So this test failure pops up on Travis. I cannot reproduce it locally. You cannot reproduce it locally. It's happening randomly on 32-bit architectures or 64-bit architectures or both, but it's never like the same test. And all of a sudden, I feel like it just turned into this wormhole or this rabbit hole, rather, of like trying to figure all this stuff out and trying to find a place where it's reproducible, doing things like... um, like I did a big refactor of like, okay, well, so the only the only common factor to these tests, these failures, the only common factor is that they're all happening at the networking level. They're all happening inside our API client. It's not always the same endpoint, but it's always that a request is being made and the completion block is never getting called for that request. And when I started digging deeper into it, I would put I was putting like log statements in the network controller. I don't want to get too much into our stack, but I was I put I was putting log statements in the code where the actual request happens, right? In where the actual NS URL session request happens. Log before, lots of expletives, <laughs> and then requests begin, <laughs> and then log inside inside the completion block. Same bunch of expletives, and then request finished, right? And every single time, the one where the failure was happening, the request, I could see the log for the request succeeded, but the request never finished. So that kind of led to 
looking for places that we weren't stubbing properly or maybe places where because we're using OHHTP stubs for the stub for the network stubbing. So that that moved into looking into well you know maybe like I looked through all of our API client specs everywhere that I thought at the time that we were hitting the API. Get to that later. But so looking through everything that was hitting the API and making sure that we're stubbing consistently, right? Like I wanted us to be stubbing. I wanted to make sure everything was stubbed and I want to stub the right way, the same way every time. So I moved stuff like out of before blocks and after blocks and I moved stuff into like helper functions that set up the stubs and did everything. So it's very, very explicit in every test. Yes, I am creating a stub here. Yes, I am creating a stub here. That way, if you hit a test that's hitting the network, it's very easy to see, oh, dang, this should have a stub on it. Why doesn't this have a stub on it? That didn't work. <laughs> it's, and, the, and, the, and the really annoying thing about all this stuff, and this is going to be a common refrain through this entire rant. God knows how long this is going to go on for because it's been a very long week. But the common thing that's happened is seeing a problem, saying, yes, that has got to be the issue, and then fixing it, and then pushing, and then it fails again. Or then it succeeds and you go like, I think that fixed it, but I'm not sure because they're completely intermittent. You know what I mean? They would just happen or they wouldn't happen. You could run a build. I figured it was happening like a quarter of the time, maybe a third of the time, just kind of knee-jerk estimate. So you push one up and you're like, okay, the, those tests passed, and then you rerun the build. And it's like, okay, those still passed. Start to feel good about yourself. Rerun the build, fail. It's like, God damn. Like, you know? And then you feel like I just wasted a bunch of time because I just re redid all this stuff. You know, I've been spent so much time digging into this. So then, you know, got to find something else. So it was like refactoring that. What else did we do? Uh, we we short-circuited the app delegate. I still think this is a good idea for us to have done, but we short-circuited the app delegates, did finish launching, method so that if we're unit testing it just bails immediately that way we make sure that nothing else like i didn't the the concern there was like maybe there's a rogue object that's being set up and because it's being set up it's firing off a network requests that's bogging everything else down or confusing something internally you know which shouldn't happen but i just wanted to make sure it didn't happen we ended up rewriting OHHTP stubs basically, which isn't very difficult. It's a, you know, our version is much, much lighter weight than what they're dealing with. But one of the main things that I did that'll be important in a minute, I think, is that in, so OHHTP stubs, if there isn't a stub for a request, it passes that request on to the network, right? So it'll actually perform the request. My version, if a request is made and a stub isn't available, it throws an exception right there. I want to crash, you know, because if that crashes and we can crash reliably in the same place, then we can use that to figure out where are we not stubbing something. Um, I'm trying to think of what else we did. I feel like it's just so many things, just like constant reworking stuff, pushing stuff up, making builds. And the bottom line is it's still happening. So then your pull requests started coming in. And the big problem is that we had these failures. We had these inter intermittent failures on master. 
And that destroyed our trust of the test suite. So then these pull requests started coming in and there were these kind of weird failures generally around networking stuff. And because we had so many problems with the same vein of things before, it was it's very easy to just say like, this must be that problem. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like kind of ignore it a little bit, which I think is totally reasonable reaction to have. And again, it's why you need to be able to trust the test suite. I'm still not sure that the problem that we've identified now is the, the problem. In fact, I'm almost positive that it isn't because I don't think this class exists on master. Right. We won't know what the problem is in, until we can look at the problem and say, yes, this is why this started on this date. Right. This is why we it and the thing that's throwing me is that I think it just coincidentally started to happen right when we hit 500 specs. So in my brain, that number is like means <laughs> I something. Know, I know there were and there were there were like three or four things that happened all at the same time. We hit 500 specs, so immediately you start saying like, "Are we just like above the threshold where all of a sudden like NSURL protocol just falls apart entirely?" And then and then there were some. There was the short circuiting thing, which I guess happened before the test failures, or yeah, I think it happened before the test failures actually started in earnest, or it may have been right about the same time that the test failures started. It's blurry in my head as to in which order those came in. So I think it was. I actually think that's the first thing we tried to try to ameliorate these random test failures we were seeing. Yeah, that was our initial pass at like weeding out that application initialization was somehow interfering with the tests now that we're at this scale. Yeah. And so, you know, it's that thing where you start questioning has has this existed the whole time? Like is this just a problem that we actually haven't hit or like it, we just happen to be under this certain threshold and we just happen to magically pass above this threshold where all of a sudden this problem is manifesting itself? Or is it a change that we introduced? Oh, that's what it was. We introduced this change where the network indicator automatically fires and turns itself off based on network requests. And we used a system or used a system that was like similar to retain count stuff. So it's like incrementing or decrementing a counter to know whether or not. And then if it's more than one, show the spinner. If it's zero, don't show the spinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fairly simple. But there was a dispatch sync call in there, and it fires inside the completion block. So it was like, maybe that is just holding it up just enough that for some reason this thing isn't completing inside the time limit, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, because the asynchronous time limit for specta or expecta by default is a second, a full second. There's no way a single dispatch sync call is locking the system up for an entire second unless we're doing something horribly, horribly wrong, <laughs> you know? Like, you would have to deadlock, and it's not deadlocking. Like, you can see that it's not deadlocking. It's like trying to figure out, is this race conditions? Is this – I mean, obviously, it's some kind of a race condition, not obviously. I don't want to say obviously about anything anymore because I can't freaking figure this out. I've had my head – I've just been staring at this. And every time we try fixing something and it doesn't work, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't – you know, like I feel like defeated. 
constantly on this issue. And like part of me wants to say, you know, screw it. Let's just deal with the intermittent errors. We know what those look like at this point. Let's just move forward. But then we don't trust the test suite. And so that's when so that's that leads me to this branch and the problems that we're having that we're kind of uncovering now, which are also wacky and weird. But I think wouldn't have gotten to the point that they are now if we trusted the test suite. You know what I mean? No, I don't I don't get what you just said. We wouldn't have gotten to what point? To the point of the oh, maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm reading too much into it. I'm just wondering if these the failures that we're seeing now on this one branch would have been easier to catch or wouldn't have it wouldn't have taken us so long to track these down if we would have caught them earlier if we were able to trust the test suite that has been you know what I mean because they're so similar because the test failures looked the same as the intermittent errors you know what I mean so you kind of just go like, I don't know, these intermittent errors are just, they keep popping up and at least I'm able to reproduce them successfully, but it feels like the same thing. Right. Cause we're at a point where I don't know if our new errors are because of the fixes to the old errors or what, like, I don't know what's going on anymore. Right. Heads or tails. Sorry. I'm getting beat up on Twitter about apparently the OHHTP stubs support guy is uh, pinging me on Twitter, whatever. Um, so basically where we are right now, what we've been debugging right now is this, it's a failure that's happening because obviously something isn't getting released properly. I can't figure out where, I can't figure out why. And this thing is being, so this, this object is being created on instantiation, it's registering for notifications. On dialloc, it's deregistering for notifications, and it's sticking around longer than we expect. And because it's sticking around longer than we expect, it's adding side effects to our tests. So there's like a login method on an object, right? And so we log in, and that method does the URL request and like or doesn't it doesn't do any url requests actually i don't think i think it just persists some crap in the in the keychain and then fires a notification that says hey everything in the system just so you know we just logged in so then this other object catches that request and when it catches a request it needs to do some other stuff so it catches a request in the background and it just says hey we need to update some other things that we're going to need for this user because we just logged in so it then hits the network, and that's the failure that we're seeing that I'm able to see reliably right now is this side effect that's being added to a method through NS notifications, but it shouldn't be. Like, I'm breaking on on init and dialloc, and it gets called three times, like I'd expect, in, and I can trace it back to the tests. It's getting called three times. Dialloc's only getting called once. I know. <laughs> so that's that's actually a new bit of information for me. I didn't. Yeah. So there's a retain cycle somewhere. It's got to be. There's got I mean there has to be. But you'd expect it to never get deallocated if there was a retain cycle. Why just once? <laughs> I might see it right now. All right, well you're giving me some hope. <laughs> I don't know 
that this is how this should act, though. This doesn't make sense that this is how this should act. But, like I said, there's three tests. Two tests are testing the notification center. That the notification center adds this object as an observer. The last one doesn't, isn't testing that at all. It's, it's, testing, it's testing that uh, when we call this update method that it actually hits the network. And we are stubbing this session for that. So we're stubbing the object that's actually making the request there. So there shouldn't be a request being created there. But I wonder if because we're using this, so we're using a partial mock for the notification center default center. I wonder if that's changing the retain semantics of this OCM verify that means that for some reason, you know, and, and honestly, I thought it was weird, but I kind of went with it. I thought it was just because of the way, just because of the way this thing was cleaning up after itself. What happens is you see init, 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 dialic, which leads me to think that maybe it's this third test that's the one that's being deallocated, and the first two aren't. Well, so to clarify, we've now roped in OC mock into this mess. Right. <laughs> but it's not just networking <laughs> stubbing. It's also our partial mocking that could be screwing this up. Right. That's fun. I'm wondering if setting the controller back to nil, so setting this the pointer back to nil, will trigger a dialic. Probably not, right? We probably have to. That would make sense, though, wouldn't it? That this, for some reason, this this NS notification center, kind of. I mean, that's not how the retain semantics work on NS notification center, but we don't know what the retain semantics are for this mock object that's verifying this thing. Right, we have a partial mock. It may be retaining everything that's being passed to it, holding on to it internally so that it can verify. Yeah, it, it, I, I think it has to. There's no other way <laughs> yeah. that it could verify that the arguments are the same unless it is also retaining that object. Just so we're clear, though, like we've done this. Yes, that has to be it. Thing, like a million times at this point. <laughs> well, we can't give up hope. No. I'm going to keep being optimistic. Me too. Okay, so those... I kind of just want to quit. <laughs> like, I'm literally just, like, looking up cabin rentals on the internet. Just I'm just going to pull a Henry David Thoreau. So that doesn't fix the deallocation. Just setting it as nil. But that that's not... <sighs> you would think that stop mocking on that mock object would, would just release would, everything. Would release everything. What if we intentionally pass in a weak self? <laughs> this is super interesting. <laughs> I was just going to re recommend that we switch gears and talk about new Swift stuff. Uh, but I want to figure this out so freaking much. Well, that's what we get paid to do <laughs> when just, we're not I know, but this is just, podcasting. I, I, this is just beating me into a freaking submission. Yeah, you should just take a break. Uh, Step back. Okay, hold on. Just this one more. I can quit anytime I want. <laughs> son of a bitch. Is that a son of a bitch? I figured it out. No. No. Fine. Let's talk about Swift. You so talk, beta five today. You talk about Swift. I'm going to mope. <laughs> You're pretty good at that. So yeah, beta five came out this morning while you were um, rebooting your day. Mm -hmm. And there's some interesting stuff and some stuff that I don't understand. 
But I think the most interesting bit is the first bullet that UI view, NS view, UI font, and UI application delegate classes have been audited for optional conformance, removing most implicitly unwrapped optionals from their interfaces. This clarifies the nullability of their properties and arguments and return values of their methods. The changes in beta 5 are simply the first step. More refinements to the SDK will come in future betas. So that's pretty much what we were complaining, complaining about last, about last time. Yeah. I, think that's, I think that's amazing. I think it's a great step towards fixing what I see is wrong with this whole thing right now. Because if you've done even two minutes of Swift development on iOS and on an actual application, it's obvious how pervasive optionals are and that they're just everywhere and everything is an optional always because of freaking Coco. So this is huge, I think. I'd love to I need to dig into exactly how much has changed. Like I need to start looking at it and and playing around with the new you know, I mean it's only as far as we're concerned, three classes. The UI view and the UI application delegate ones, those are, that's a good first start, I think. You know, Those are base-level objects. Cleaning those up in terms of optionals probably cleans a lot of stuff you know, down the line. I can't imagine the amount of work that this will be, though. Mm-mm. Huge. Years. So, Years. Yeah, so many methods. And, and how did they make this change? Does this affect the way... You know that like it works in Objective C, so I'd that assume that in Objective C it's fine, it's the same, but that this is just adding, so like little things that I can think of, like I guarantee, I almost guarantee you that the UI application delegate, the changes they're talking about there, is that the window property isn't an optional, because you shouldn't have a nil window in an application, right. And so it's it's literally just instead of throwing an exception or printing a log statement, we will just ensure at the type level that when you're working in Swift, no, that's that's that needs to be there. That needs to be a window, you know. So that's a non-optional anymore. I think I'm just guessing at what the I haven't even looked at like the cha- I don't know what you would say like a change log here. I don't know. But you don't think that, that would require some sort of decoration of the Objective C headers, to, so that, that like when it's bridged to Swift, mm-hmm. it knows that it's not going to be optional, or they've just updated all of that bridging mechanism to be smart about specific classes. I'd have to imagine the former. I'd have to imagine that it's smarter scalability-wise and like long-term maintenance to just annotate stuff as being non-optional. I bet it's that they're flagging things as non-optional, not flagging everything else as optional, just because I still think that coming from Coco, coming from Objective-C, optionals still are going to be the default for a lot of things. And so I bet that 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 still could be nil, and that it would just result in a runtime error. Because there's nothing preventing you from screwing this up intentionally intentionally subverting the type system and going back to Objective-C and uh, mutating something and then jumping back into Swift and trying to use it. What do you think about the... So do you want to keep going down the line here? Yeah, yeah. What do you think about the assigning through the optional unwrapping and also the chaining, using the, the question mark chaining operator to assigning, if conditionally assigning? I think it looks really weird 
when you're chaining on the implicitly unwrapped optional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's questionable to me. When chaining off the optional itself is fine. I, I appreciate the amount of nested if let optional binding that will remove. Yeah, this is the, the first thing I thought of is that this the optional chaining operator is basically what a lot of people were like, here, we solved JSON parsing for you. And this is all they did was overload the, you know, the question mark chaining operator to be able to like assign stuff. And, and this functionally does what Tony's doing with the currying, right? Whereas at any point in the line, if it fails, the whole thing fails. Um, which which you could do previously. Like you could chain optionals together if you were like checking their values and it would just either finally return like the last value or null. But this is for assigning. Yes. I think it's a little different in that like if you assign like this, it, it'll just either assign it or do nothing, which is different than assigning it or failing. I was referring to checking values. Like you do an, like an iflet and there's a bunch of chained optionals there. Mm-hmm. And it's either going to fall into that condition because it ran all the way through without hitting like a none mm-hmm. in one of those optionals or it won't. Mm-hmm. This is the equivalent for setting a value. Yeah, I think it's a good change. I Related love this. To that. Are you talking about the nil coalescing thing? Yeah, the, the double question mark. I love this. I haven't fully grokked the, the implications of using this yet. I really like it because it's there's a uh, so this nil coalescing operator basically what it does is you could do like um, so their example is uh, they have an empty array and they print my array dot first question mark question mark zero right so my array dot first that returns an optional value okay but so if that optional returns none then it will fall through this nil coalescing value operator and will print zero instead, which is kind of nice. It's used a lot for, well, I don't know if there's anything quite like this. I guess there is. It's almost like the starting point for like the pipe pipe equals the conditional assignment operator in Ruby and a lot of languages which says, you know, foo pipe pipe equals bar. And if foo has a value, then it won't do anything, right? It'll just, foo will be foo. But if foo is nil, then it will assign bar to foo. And that's the way that you do a lot of, like, memoization and lazy initialization stuff in Ruby, which is a, it's a really nice pattern to have, because it wraps up like the conditional, you know, the lazy initialization stuff that we do now, which is like, if this thing has a value, return the value, else do all this setup, and then return the value. It's like that's a stupid pattern that they've managed to wrap up in a single operator, which is nice. And so I think this is kind of on the road to that. And that operator is registered in Swift. It doesn't do anything yet, I don't think. Like, it doesn't have an implement implementation, but it's declared as an infix operator. The pipe pipe equals. Can you chain these together, or is it just left-hand side, right-hand side? Like, could I do optional, you know, double question mark, another optional double question mark, and finally a non-optional value on the very right-hand side? I'd assume so. 
but I don't know for sure. Seems like you should be able to. Change a lot of ranges. Yeah, there's a lot going on there with the semantics of ranges. I don't understand intervals. I don't know. Let's skip over that. Probably more interesting is the dynamic dispatch modifier. Yeah, I haven't read that at all. Basically, I think what's going on here is that if you put the dynamic keyword in front of something, it's implying that all access in and out of that value will be sent through Objective-C message send, hmm. allowing it to be swizzled. I think, I think that this will finally allow someone to write a mocking library for Swift. But in order for that to happen, you as the original author would have to say, yeah, sure, swizzle this, <laughs> right? Like if I write a library and I don't add dynamic to my methods and my properties, then you still can't touch them, mm. right? So right. I, don't think, I don't think it solves that. I'm actually not sure what this solves. The only thing it says is the dynamic keyword enables KVO, proxying, and other advanced Cocoa features to work reliably with Swift declarations. Mm. Though the feature is independent of the Objective-C attribute, the implementation still currently relies on Objective-C runtime details, so dynamic currently can only be applied to declarations with Objective-C compatible types. So the KVO thing is interesting. But you still have to set up the KVO through Objective-C, I'm assuming? Or could you do it through... It, it seems like since it only works if you've declared it as, you know, with that Objective-C attribute that you have some Swift code you want to call from Objective-C code and you want to be able to KVO a property that's declared in that Swift code, you finally can now. You have to make it dynamic. Hmm. It's a big release. kind of can't believe it's only been two weeks. I, I think that first bit is really promising about auditing the framework for use of optionals. That'll be big. Mm-hmm. Oh, they got rid of the dash I flag for the Swift command line executable. They replaced the old Swift executable with Swift C. They renamed it. And they introduced a new Swift executable that is available specifically to enable natural hashbang scripts. So if you do XC runs Swift myscript.swift, it runs it in the immediate mode as opposed to I think it compiled it before. Hmm. I could be totally wrong about that. What does that mean practically? Uh, practically not much uh, except for that it's a little bit nicer to use Swift as a hash bang, to use it as a scripting language. I'm hoping that they install it into user bin in the final release because right now having to type xc run is like kind of annoying to me <laughs> you know they started talking about documentation a little bit they say that they're using restructured text as a markup language inside source code documents for comments is this a standard thing that i'm supposed to know i've never heard of that i haven't either but i think it's a, and i think it actually is structured text Ooh, it's got a source forge. Yeah, I don't know. It's part of docutils. I, I can't get too excited here. I'm still thinking about our test failures. You want to wrap this up so I can eat lunch? Sure. Go back to hating myself? Sure. What episode is this? 50? 49. Ah, oh, damn it. 
<laughs> I would love for our 50th episode to just be like, I mean, that'll be next week, but like <laughs> just us kind of whining about our test failures and trying to fix them and not being able to, and then kind of being like, I guess we'll just go back to work now. That would just be classic build phase. What? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> so appropriate. No, I was thinking we could watch a uh, Temple of Doom next week together, and then just Temple talk about it. I mean, Temple of Doom. Was really? Good, oh, that was could... a total her. Like, no, it's fine. It's fine. I just think we could find something better. Airplane comes to mind. All right. Show notes for this episode are going to be found at. I almost did it again. Show notes for this episode are going to be found at podcasts.thoughtbot.com/slash/buildphase/slash/49. And as always, we'd like to hear from you, so email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And we always appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. All right. I'll see you later. Cool. See ya.